Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on a cloudy day here in the capital as once again we put the topic of leadership under the spotlight. I'm your host Scott Challoner and I'm delighted to be joined on today's programme by Cindy Britton. Cindy is a director at Henley Ice Cream, an ice cream parlour based in Henley in Arden, Warwickshire with roots dating back to the 1930s. Cindy, a very warm welcome to you and thank you ever so much for taking the time to join us this morning. Thank you very much and good morning Scott. Thank you Cindy it's a real pleasure having you on the air with us and the purpose of this discussion is to really establish your take on leadership as a whole so if we dive straight in and just look at that word leader in isolation for a moment what does that word really mean to you and how does it resonate? Uh, A leader I think to me is somebody who can lead it's as simple as that lead by example Um, showing people what to do, how to do it, how to do it correctly, with good advice, um, with patience and with understanding. We employ people of all ages, so you have different um, sectors of leadership, I think, and different age groups need different sectors of that leadership. I think that comes down to people management, doesn't it? And understanding, of course, um, those around you and the approach that you need to take with them. Because I don't think any one leadership approach is necessarily going to work for everyone, isn't it? Because there are so many different personalities that people work with within teams. And from a leadership point of view, yeah, it's about knowing how to manage those different people, I think. Yes, and especially when you employ people uh, possibly in their mid-50s down to... Um, kids who are coming straight from school, their first job, they've never been in employment, they don't know what employment is all about. Uh, You have to have different leadership skills for all all that variety of age groups. Um, And what you say to a 15-year-old, most of which you obviously don't need to say to somebody who is 50 years old. Um, And so you've got to have all those different skills for those different age groups. I think that's exactly right. And do you think with younger age groups, sometimes it can take a little bit more of an arm around the shoulder as opposed to a little bit more of an authoritative form of leadership? Because I think with younger people especially, there's a little bit of a hesitation to disappoint and to fail just for a fear of criticism, I guess. And learning and making mistakes is a critical part of development, isn't it? So we should be really encouraging younger people to be willing to take a little bit of independence on and be willing to try things. And when those setbacks come, just show that little bit of understanding and encouragement. Yes. And and the other thing is, of course, I'm sorry to say, but a lot of the kids these days are thoroughly spoiled at home. So when they actually come into a workplace, they have absolutely no idea of what I call the real world. Um, they have dishwashers at home. Mum does everything for them. Mum does all the cooking. You bring them into a food or a catering industry or a food environment, they have absolutely no idea. They don't know how to... The basics to me are knowing how to wash and dry up, how to serve food, how to present food, um, how to speak to customers properly. And most of the young kids that come in today have no idea on any of those things. They know how to use their mobile phones and that's another problem, uh, uh, persuading them that a mobile phone is not what you have in the workplace. 
Mm. Of course, there are merits um, in technology being able to keep us connected, of course, but there is a time and a place for it. And I suppose one yeah. of those times and places is the context of the uh, the here and now where a lot of workplaces are shutting down as a result of COVID-19 and tech is keeping us connected in that way and allowing us to essentially demonstrate leadership from a distance. Um, how has it been for yourselves Um working within your industry, trying to navigate this current situation, Cindy, because I can imagine that's posed an incredible challenge in itself. It has been a major problem. We actually only opened up the parlour two weeks ago. We have been closed since uh, beginning of March, and that for us has been a very difficult um, time because although we're an ice cream parlour and in the summer we are very busy, we're basically a six-month business. So from October to March, we're barely ticking over. We're certainly not selling a lot of ice cream. So in March um, and coming up to April, Easter, it's a time that we should start take bringing our money in to keep the business going. Well, in March, of course, we shut down, which for us was a major problem. But fortunately, we opened up on a much smaller scale um, two weeks ago. Limited staff, I was unfurloughed, one member of staff was unfurloughed, and we've struggled through, but on a much, much smaller scale, one in, one out, takeaway teas and coffees. That's all we've been able to do. And there's been a lot of talk about the new normal that we can expect and what is going to really be the shape of that new normal. And there's been a lot of debate about the clarity of what these new COVID secure measures are going to really look like as well. And from your point of view, it's incredibly important. And from a leadership perspective, clarity and transparency are both integral qualities. Do you think there's been quite enough clear guidance about what is going to be required from yourselves going forward from here to continue to operate? Um, There's been a lot of guidance. I don't know that I agree that it's all been clear guidance. Um, a lot of information has come out. We've watched the um, programme in the afternoons with the Prime Minister and the Minister for Health, and then we've listened to the questions from the media. And sometimes you think, oh, yes, I get that. I understand that. Right, we've got to do this. And then somebody throws a question in, and it seems to reverse what has just been said. So, no, I don't think it has been as clear as it could have been. But I think the government personally has, I think they've done a tremendous job, um, certainly with the financial side of things, furloughing of staff, um, the contribution that the government has made has been, I feel, for us anyway, very generous and has really helped us going. So I think the leadership from them has been brilliant. It's essentially been an unprecedented challenge, hasn't it? So, And people do sometimes uh, forget that when taking the um, opportunity to criticise. And that's, again, a, a big part of leadership, isn't it? Knowing that, of course, yeah. the buck does ultimately stop with you and the fact that you should be ready to bra- brace criticism and um, other such things. That's one of yeah. the dark sides of leadership, isn't it, that I think people forget about when they associate it with sort of the glamour of being in the public eye, the glamour of business success, the glamour of celebrity, oh, yeah. maybe. I mean, who on earth thought in January that we would be coming into this? Um, It's absolutely unprecedented. I mean, I'm fairly old. I'm certainly senior. Um, I have never seen anything like this in my lifetime. And I don't think many other people have either. Absolutely unprecedented. Um, And I feel desperately sorry for the families that have lost loved ones. Mm. Very, very 
difficult time for everybody. Very difficult. Yeah. It's been very difficult and it's been very tragic. Um, and what has come as a as something good from uh, this, um, however, is the fact that it really seems to have captured a community spirit, brought the nation closer together. And we've seen some incredible stories of people really going above and beyond during this time, whether it's continuing to go into their workplaces, whether it's adapting to remote working or whether it's becoming involved in community initiatives or indeed whether it's working on that all important front line. Um, based upon what you've seen um, from business point of view at Henley, um, Cindy, um, have you been inspired by what you've seen from those around you as well and how they've applied themselves to meet this challenge? Challenge. Yes, certainly. I mean, um, I only live a mile from the shop. Um, my neighbours have been fantastic. They were around first day. Can we do anything for you? Brilliant. But we have also helped um, some of the people in the community in the high street where the parlour is, um, people who can't get out. Uh, we have several elderly neighbours around us in the parlour. So we've done what we can for them. And certainly that the clapping on a Thursday night is absolutely brilliant. I have a niece who's a paramedic. So, yes, 100% for that. Fantastic. But I think we've got to be very careful now going forward. Um, it does worry me a bit that I think the younger generation, again, feel, well, we haven't got it. I don't know anybody who's got it, so it doesn't matter anymore. And I think we've got to try and slow this down a bit. Uh, because I think it could well come back if we're not very careful. And that's the last thing that anybody wants to happen. I would agree with that. I think that's um, absolutely right. And the importance of avoiding a uh, second wave is um, huge, huge, because otherwise um, the economic pain, the uh, the pain of, of course, um, people becoming ill, losing lives is just going to be even more prolonged. Now, we've talked about very briefly, of course, um, inspiration and how the response from those around you has been inspiring and how people have really gone above and beyond. But if we just backtrack for a moment, uh, Cindy, I'd be interested to know maybe some of the inspirations that have had a profound influence on you as you develop through your career and maybe some of those people that you've looked up to. And if nobody really sticks out, then maybe what sort of experiences you would say have had a profound impact? Oh, my goodness. I could write a book on um, experiences, Mm. mainly from customers who have come into the parlour, we've had a lot of laughs, we've had some um, testing times, but it's the the customers, it's the customers who've kept us going. Um, And when they come in and they they ask what the banana ice cream tastes like, and um, is the chocolate ice cream chocolatey, and, uh, uh, and we just laugh over things like that. And those are most of my memories. Um, Apart from when I first started up, times were very difficult. There was um, nothing in the parlour at all when I first took it over. So I started doing the farmer's markets. And what a great place they were. I would trundle along to a farmer's market with a freezer in the back of the trailer, try and unload it, thankfully with the help of some of the other market traders. And I would stand and sell ice cream for three or four hours and then trundle it all back home again. That was how I managed to build up the customers, uh, the trade customers, and some of whom are still with us. And I'm, I'm going back over 20 years. Those are the main experiences that I remember. They're, they're what kept me going. The kindness of people from the farmer's markets, and then people like that coming to visit the parlour and building up a customer relationship like that. But it is mainly our customers and a lot from Henley, our local residents, who, are, who of course are our good customers. And they're the people that keep us going. 
without them, we wouldn't have a business. It just goes to show that inspiration can come from so many places and sometimes it can be the people closest to us who can be some of the most influential on our lives for sure and that can very easily be forgotten. Now um, we talked a little bit about the uh, the past there uh, Cindy so I think it only serves that we address the future before we do wrap things up on the programme and I would be interested to understand what you envision the next 12 months or so holding for yourself and for the business and what you hope to achieve as we hopefully move through this COVID-19 pandemic and emerge from the other side and really begin to look to the long-term future? Yes, I, I'm I'm not 100% sure. My daughter um, mainly runs the business now. She's doing a fantastic job along with our manager and assistant manager. The three of them are the backbone now of the business. Um, I, I like to think of the business having quietened down a bit. The end of last summer was absolutely manic. And now we found um, just the manager and myself running the shop on a much smaller scale. Things are far more relaxed. It's quieter. It's I find it more of a pleasure than when the shop is absolutely rammed and we don't know whether we're coming or going. I don't know whether we might cut down on one or two things, but certainly the ice cream, the quality of our ice cream, which keeps us going, is is what I'm happy about. And we will move on and sit and have a discussion as to where we go from here. We do a lot of food. And are we going to continue to do all that food? I don't know. It's still early days for us at the moment. We need to try and get through this summer. And then during the winter, we will sit and really discuss where we go from here. But certainly Henley Ice Cream is alive and kicking and that's how we want to keep it. It's fantastic to hear that the business is still um, very much going uh, for the uh, the here and now. Yeah. And I certainly hope, Cindy, that that can uh, continue and it can really embrace the challenges of the future. And, you know, yeah. I think from a listener's perspective, given how informative um, it's been today and how passionately you've spoken, it would be great to perhaps even have you back on in the next few months just to see how the business is getting on and see how the communities are adapting as well and maybe some of the initiatives that you're getting involved in. I think that would be great. Yeah, that would be lovely. Thank you. I, I think so um, as well, uh, Cindy. Thank you ever so much, of course, for taking the time to uh, join us today. It's been a real pleasure and it's a shame we're just about out of time. Otherwise, we could talk about it all morning, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, but do please take care and stay safe um, in the meantime as well with everything still going on, because as we both Thank know, we're not out of the woods uh, with you this yet for certain. And I'm looking forward to, uh, to touching base in future for, for definite. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. That was Cindy Britton speaking, director at Henley Ice Cream in Warwickshire. Coming up next on the programme today, I'll be handing over to Jonathan White for his exclusive interview with England's 1966 Football World Cup hero, Sir Jeff Hurst. During his professional career, Sir Jeff scored over 200 league goals for the likes of West Ham United and Stoke City. But most notably, he remains the only man to this day to have scored a hat-trick in the final of a World Cup competition. That came after his treble in England's 4-2 victory over West Germany at the old Wembley Stadium 54 long years ago now. I hope you enjoy listening just as much as Jonathan enjoyed speaking with Sir Jeff. And that is coming up next. Uh, We're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, Thank you very much for coming on today. uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? 
Well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Although there are one or two people who are very familiar um, uh, who do Google me realize that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool. Many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and, um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be playing, I guess, one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, yeah. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where... Um, so Jeff Hurst was a, a first-class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or, or football, obviously the importance of leadership, it can't be understated no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a fantastic coach or teacher, if you like, at football. And uh, they quite always mention when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and the manager over many, many, many years. He and He's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess. He would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very... Fortunate, I think you, you you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and uh, a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood, and of course a, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that caliber can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at. West Ham uh, with with a manager like like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players, and of course they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peters? I think probably. Well, I was very fortunate to play with the caliber of the players I did. Again, mm-hmm. again, extremely fortunate to play with the, the captain. Um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters who was a fantastic player and some, as far as Martin's concerned I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved and what a wonderful player he was in terms of inspiring confidence I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me I guess would be the captain Bob Moore although he was only uh, about eight months older than me he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier he played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more, looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy in the same age group as me. And I looked at how he how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership uh, what I do, I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is at the top. is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident. I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties. 
to car dealerships. And you could almost tell when you walked into the business, uh, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the value and quality of leadership. And that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved in my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Al Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously, uh, after uh, at West Ham, your uh, plane came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man, I'm sure, when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, mm. Naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand, whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you. It can have a great impact on your, <laughs> your career and, of course, your life. But yep. in that era, I was involved for six or seven years. He, it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very, very strict. Probably at a time, maybe overly strict, but at a time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across, and very few people. And he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people, and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn for you. And you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organization, one thing I have learned, and I've taken it on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in the group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless of that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think, uh, a, a specific moment? I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, Jeff, you could uh, perhaps pick right now that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team or certainly in the squad, and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that, that's that for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before. I was, I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be playing in, in the team. But in a couple of friendly games, more friendly games, before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway, I think, and Denmark, mm. I didn't. I played two of the four games. And I probably didn't quite replicate my, my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England. And he, he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay, he started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Hunt. So mm-hmm. I, I had an impact of thinking I, at that stage I, like I was going to play and didn't start because of just 
a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Glee's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I, I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't, you're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really, looking back out, mm. out. So I never really felt, people talk about pressure a lot and it's there and people, players talk about, people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessarily feel any great pressure, pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that, that were left in the squad after he'd moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Al showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very... I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Uh, we had some great players, but overall they were great hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realise there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I... I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows. In fact, starting this week, over the next uh, three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about twenty minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And there's, I won't mention both. They're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And of course I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal and I looked round, put my foot on the ball and looked round for a little while and said, oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch. So that's, uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited to just have a, look, have a glance round, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that, such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there, are, there certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely... But I can use that now because it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we... Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You want. You got time. I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay. So I was uh, doing a, a, at a dinner in, in the Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honour, mm-hmm. 
On this occasion, I was speaking for about 20 minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening. And there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I heard a, somebody at the back who, who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Uh, well, uh, and we, you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like I that. Just, but no, then again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did, uh, um, it did make again, a laugh that day. If you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. Um, but there, there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff. I think um, you, you were a young man when see, this happened. When you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you, or did you just realise that by by quick one way or the other? people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are. There are people who pay you compliments of the uh, fans of, of West Ham and, uh, and Stoke and, of course, in, uh, England fans who... Um, I, I think probably... Yeah, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest that I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, well, you, but, you don't but have to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it's, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it. Uh, perhaps, um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you, and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a, a helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitch is people must realise that that's, that has an influence, how you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field. Surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team laterally. Um, yeah. And, and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with... Um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader. Um, well, a, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to. Their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's that a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that that comes through the leadership. That's not just 
luck. Absolutely. That's, that's absolutely the show. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson, who's just absolutely, mm. you've got to take him as the first example, but Klopp's only done this over a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United, and subsequently since he's gone, how they they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen. We've seen, we've probably ever seen, and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's ast- absolutely astonishing, astonishing. And do you think? Could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Greenwood, yeah, the, the answer, straightforward answer is yes. Um, they, <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes I can elaborate as much as you want but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes uh, and with um, I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so but um, I'm conscious of the um, time um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level-headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were, I was very fortunate and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at so that... So many. Yeah, so many. And that's why we were successful because we had so many... Um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team, I think that that was outstanding, and uh, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody. And I'm going back from an earlier earlier question for me: the um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days. Every year, uh, up until about five years ago, of course, with, with the uh, sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on with, all together. All those years later, it didn't just finish after '66. That reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. the, um, uh, getting on with each other, lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't and- when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those. I would pick every one of the 11 players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else. They were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We had some great players. We had some great players, of course. But without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, we wouldn't have been ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the 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 whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word the word is team. Showed, the word is te- the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes you know, together, everyone achieves more. And that that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking if if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life, 
what would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single-mindedness, dedication, dedication to the job, um, thinking about that, that, that role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. If you, I don't think you can switch off when you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level. You may, you know, have a, wait, have a couple of weeks holiday, but I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm, I'm sure there's not, uh, there's, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's, you completely focus, you're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to, nice to have a talk about this and just go over the, over the past and just uh, refresh my, my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I've been your host, Scott Challoner. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, or other guests of any other person therein associated.